Welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. Today's speaker is Stephen Brannan. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, God is one. Amen. Today's Gospel reading is of an encounter that Jesus has with primarily Simon Peter. We read that he is um, with a whole group of people who are pressing on him, waiting to hear his teachings. So by this point in the Gospel narrative, this is only the fifth chapter of Luke, but by this point he has um, he's established himself as a teacher. He's gotten a crowd of people to start following him. And there have been some kind of, uh, kind of secret miracles that he's done, some healings, and the rumors of those have spread. He's not performing miracles publicly exactly just yet, but he has, uh, he has done a few things, and it's gotten some people on board with this new teacher, Jesus. And so they're following him around, and he's in the vicinity of Capernaum near the lake of Gennesaret. And this is where Simon and his brother Andrew live, and also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, all who would end up following him by the end of this event. Now, the reason he was here is because he knew some people in this area, and Andrew certainly had already encountered him. St. Andrew was the first called disciple, and he found Jesus while he was following John the Baptist. He was actually John the Baptist's disciple first, and that's when he found Jesus. And he ran and told his brother Simon, who would later be called Peter, I found the Messiah. You have to come see him. And so when Jesus is walking around teaching people, and he shows up next to the boats of Simon and Andrew and James and John. They already know who he is, but they haven't yet abandoned everything to follow him, even though Andrew is already convinced that he's the Messiah. So that's kind of the setup for the story that we get this morning. So as Jesus is teaching, he um, approaches Peter and asks him if he can get in his boat and be pushed out just a few feet into the water so that he can teach the people from there. And this was a practical thing so that all the people could kind of gather on the shoreline, spread out, and Jesus, who wouldn't be uh, crowded in the middle of them, could have a little distance, and he could also teach, and the, the water would help project his voice. So it was a practical thing. But I think what he was doing was not just for practicality's sake, but was already beginning to enact physically and visually the lesson that he wanted to give to Peter and Andrew and John and James later. And so what he did was ask Peter, can I sit in your boat? Can you push out just a little bit and, and I'll teach? And later reflection from Peter would probably uh, reveal that this was no accident, that Jesus is choosing to teach from inside the boat, a boat which, uh, in terms of ideas, would become very important. So as he is teaching from this boat now, um, when he finishes up, he says to Peter, why don't you, um, why don't you cast out a little bit and, and try to catch some fish? And Peter, at this point, already exhausted from the night, saying, we, we tried fishing all night and we didn't catch anything. He says, nevertheless, I'll, I'll do what you ask. You seem to be, I don't know, someone who should be listened to. I'll, uh, I'll grudgingly, maybe not grudgingly, I'll, to humor you, set out and, uh, and cast the nets down. So 
He does, and of course the rest of the story is that he catches a miraculous draft of fishes and uh, they have to call to uh, James and John in a second boat to come out and help them. Um, and the, the fish that they end up catching is so heavy that it actually starts weighing down both of their boats. It, this, is, this is massive when, when your livelihood is, uh, you know, fishermen to catch so many fish that it's weighing down two boats. This is, I mean, this is the kind of thing that can financially really make an impact on you in this economy. And so this is not just a, uh, a miracle like, look how neat um, we didn't catch any and now we caught a bunch. This, this has ongoing financial implications and impacts for um, these fishermen. And, and actually it might have helped um, to uh, set them up so that they could afford to leave everything at the end of this story and follow Jesus. Um, so this was a, a big deal. But beyond the miracle of just feeding a bunch of people eventually with this fish and, and setting up these fishermen with a nice financial boost, I think Jesus' main point in doing this miracle was to enact for them the lesson that he wanted to teach them, the thing that he was calling them to ultimately, which was to become fishers of men. So how does this action demonstrate in physical enacting of a parable um, what, what Jesus was calling them to? Well, Fortunately, we have centuries of uh, saints reflecting on this story and thinking through these exact things. And so I'm just essentially distilling some of the thoughts that they've had throughout the centuries. One of the things is that it's Simon Peter's boat that is, um, that's chosen by Jesus, both to launch out and teach and then to catch the fish. This is the same boat that Matthew says in his gospel was tossed on the waves of the storm that Jesus had to calm. So just in the, uh, the mention between Matthew and Luke of Peter's boat uh, with all the disciples in it, we hear that it can both be tossed on the waves of the storm and also be filled with fish. And this seems to be an indication of what the church frequently likened to a ship throughout uh, the, the history of the church and, and its teachings the church can both be buffeted from the outside with storms and waves, but also be full of, um, of a miraculous catch. The, the ark in the Old Testament is also a, a picture of this boat uh, saving souls in the midst of troubling waters. And actually, in the architecture of the church, where we sit, the congregation is, it's called the nave, which is a word that essentially means ship. We get uh, words like navy and naval from this old Latin word nave, and it's because when the congregation enters the church, they are in this ark, this ship that saves them, that guards them from the world outside. And so if the ship is the church and it's uh, keeping us safe from the world, then of course in the imagery that we're using here, the sea is the world. So when Jesus says to launch out into the deep, the deep, the sea, this represents the world with its changeability, with its unpredictably moving waves and its fickleness where storms can rise at any moment, and with its crushing depths where light is very quickly filtered out of the darkness, uh, filtered out in darkness becomes the norm. You know, in, in basically the entire history of, of uh, humanity before we had submarines and scuba gear and everything, uh, people couldn't 
dive for too long. Um, they, you know, could dive for several dozens of feet maybe, but they could only hold their breath for so long. They'd have to come back up. But even, even in the history of, you know, human free diving where people would dive down, they would realize very quickly that as they dive, pressure increases, light is filtered out. It becomes terrifying and dark down there very quickly. And so it's no surprise that humanity has long regarded the, the depths as this place of chaos and death and destruction and darkness. And so that's, that's symbolizing the world, a world that is full of chaos and darkness. And so that's where Jesus tells them to go. We're going to launch out into the deep. But um, we also see that when the miracle occurs, when Simon Peter, who was unable to do anything on his own because they, they were using their own efforts, Jesus demonstrates, if you do what I tell you to, you will have a different result. The overabundance of fish, this isn't just, oh, yeah, we hadn't caught anything all night, but now we caught a normal catch. This is an extraordinary catch. This is something beyond what they had considered even possible. They had never caught anything like this before. And so this overabundance represents what God can do. It's a, it's a lesson for us to know that on our own steam and our own power, we can't do anything. We don't control anything. And it's with God's power that things happen to whatever degree, but potentially to a miraculous degree. That's an important lesson to keep in mind as we labor and, and work in our own lives. And then the bringing of the fish on board, the actually you know, pulling them out of the ocean, into the boat, out of the depths, um, is, is a rescue of fish. This is what St. John Chrysostom says. The fishers, they, they drew fish out of the water to kill them, but we cast our nets into the water and those who we take are made alive. This is a, a, the difference in fishing for fish and fishing for men. When the fish symbolize men, it's a different kind of fish. These are fish that need to be out of the water. They need to be rescued. And that's what Jesus is demonstrating with this, um, this image, this lesson here. St. Gregory says, similarly, the apostles' nets do not destroy those whom they catch, but preserve them, bringing them from the bottom of the abyss to the light, raising them to the heights, those who were tossed about in the lowest depths. So after this miraculous catch, then, of course, Peter falls at the feet of Jesus and says, depart from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. This confession shows why it was his boat and his assurance of a calling specifically that Jesus chose. It was another miraculous catch of fish later that Jesus would use to open the eyes of Peter after his resurrection. Remember when Jesus uh, was resurrected and he's walking on the beach and Peter and his brother and you know all, all the, the fishermen are out fishing again and Jesus calls to them from the seashore this time, let your nets down over on this side. And they do and they have another miraculous catch of fish and Peter immediately remembers, this is the Lord. He knows immediately. He looks and says, that's the Lord. That's why Jesus used that imagery uh, to, to call to Peter again, who would then 
just like in this first event where Peter um, falls at Jesus' feet and confesses and then immediately abandons everything. After the resurrection, Peter again recognizes Jesus, abandons everything, jumps into the water and just heads straight for him. This is an amazing quality of Peter and I think uh, the reason he was called to be the head of the disciples. And Peter's act of casting everything away, falling down at the feet of Jesus and looking to him only is actually the prerequisite to be equipped for the task of being a fisher of men. So these two stories of miraculous catches in the Gospels, they have both of these elements, both a confession from St. Peter, a willingness to abandon everything, and also the miraculous catch of fish. So we know that these two things go together because they're in both stories. And I think that's because the confession and the willingness is a prerequisite to do the fishing, to be a fisher of men. And now, you know, we're not all called to be Simon Peter. That's not, we don't all have that personality. We don't all have the same gifts and we don't have his calling. But we are called in some degree or another through our particular circumstances to the two things that we see in these stories. To a confession like Peter's that Jesus is Lord, that we are sinful and that we need him and our, our abandonment, our willingness to leave everything for Jesus alone. And in a life of casting our nets into the world in order to bring those tossed in the lowest depths up to the light, up into the boat that is the church. So this lesson enacted by Christ, where he chooses the boat from which to preach, where the boat is the thing that is going out into the world, willing to be buffeted by the waves for the sake of catching and rescuing what needs to be caught. And the reaction, the, the human response that ought to accompany this, this boat and catching is what we see in Peter, a willingness to abandon everything in order to do it. These two things are our lesson from the story. I love that Jesus has a knack for, um, for, for playing things out. He's, he's got a, a bit of a knack for drama, I think. He, uh, he, he enacts these lessons well. He's a great storyteller, obviously. It's why the parables are just uh, immortal. They will never die. People know the stories that Jesus told. And they remember these events, not just because of the miracles, but I think in the church we remember them because of the lessons that they teach us. So these are our lessons to learn today. To be like Peter in being willing to confess that Jesus is all that we need and leave everything behind in order to follow him alone. And then also to trust in God to let down our nets wherever he tells us to and whenever, regardless of what we think uh, it, it, it will be fruitful or not. Just trust. Just trust God. That's what we're called to this morning through this story. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, God is one. Amen. Talks at Advent. Homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia.